Well, good morning, High Point. Boy, that was pretty weak. Good morning, High Point. There you go. Now I know you're awake. Well, you made it. We, uh, I'm curious, and I want you to be honest. How many of you sitting in here right now intended to come to the first service, but you forgot to spring forward, and you're now in the second service? Raise your hand. We got one. Where else? I know of another. Apparently, he didn't stay for the second service. He came up and said, I forgot. I said, well, we got a service coming up. Oh, well, okay. But apparently, he didn't stay. So, tells you what he thinks of his pastor's preaching, apparently. But, but I want to thank you for being here those who are here in our building, those who are joining us online. We're so glad that you've joined us today. We're going to continue in our fourth week in our end time study where we're looking at what the Bible has to say about living in the last days. In fact, in preparation, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Mark chapter 13. That's where we're going to start this morning, but we will quickly turn and remain in the book of, of Revelation. But first, I want to do a quick review of what we've covered so far to kind of catch you up to speed. Uh, we began the series by looking at Mark chapter 13, and we covered verses 1 through 13, and it was there that we realized that Jesus' words, his, his uh, warnings covered things that would happen from his time up until our current time. It was a time when his disciples asked him, what will be the signs of the last days? And he responded by saying to them that there would be wars and rumors of wars, there would be famine, there would be pestilence, there would be earthquakes, and there will be those who say that they are Christ and will lead many people astray with great deception. And Jesus said that the closer we get to the last days, the, these kinds of things will increase. They will happen with greater uh, frequency, and they will happen with greater intensity. And all of these things will be signs for us to know that his return is near. We followed that by looking at the next event on God's prophetic calendar, the rapture of the church. The rapture is when in an instant, as the Bible says, in the twinkling of an eye, that every follower of Jesus Christ will literally be taken from this earth. And in addition to that, the bodies of those who have died before who were in Christ Jesus, well, their bodies will be resurrected and they will be joined together in the air with their spirit. And there are really no signs left to happen in order for this great event to occur. The rapture of the church could happen at any moment. And we need to be aware of it. Because the rapture of the church will usher in a seven-year period known as the tribulation, as well as this one-world leader known as the Antichrist. And we spent most of last week's message talking about him at length, how he brings about peace between the nations. And he even happens to, to uh, bring peace to Israel. And uh, he goes into disagreement, but for a short time, and then it ends. And uh, the, an event happens that literally turns everything on a dime. It's a halfway point of this seven-year tribulation. It's when the Antichrist enters the temple in Jerusalem and he sets himself up to be worshipped as God. It is referred to in the scriptures as the abomination of desolation. And it is uh, called an abomination because it is an abomination to our Heavenly Father. And, and it is at this turning point where it goes from being just the tribulation to becoming the great tribulation where there will be unparalleled demonic activity going on in the world. 
and it will be a time of calamity like the world has never seen before. It is described in Mark chapter 13, verse 19. It'll be up on the screen behind me. For in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. Now, last week's message gave us glimpses of the tribulation, but today we are going to go much deeper because it is a very horrific time. And when I say horrific, understand it's not just because of all of the demonic activity that will take place. Because in addition to that, there will be a span of judgments from God that will be happening throughout this time that are literally cataclysmic in nature. So we're going to go to the book of Revelation where it shows us that there are actually three different groups of judgments from God. There are seven judgments known as the seal judgments, S-E-A-L. Think of an important document or a letter in the olden days that would be sealed with a, wa with a wax that would be imprinted with a royal seal. If the seal is not broken, then you know that the document has not been tampered with. So with these first seven judgments, as these seals are broken, each one leads to a different judgment upon the earth and upon those who are inhabiting the earth after the rapture. Then later on in Revelation chapter 8 through 11, we will see seven trumpet judgments, and these, each one of these judgments is initiated by an angel blowing a trumpet. Also in Revelation chapter 16, we will see what are called bowl judgments, B-O-W-L. These judgments are initiated by an angel literally dumping the contents out of each bowl, pouring out judgment upon the earth and its residents. And these judgments are cataclysmic. They are destructive in nature. But as believers of Christ, we need not fear these judgments because Jesus has a plan for us to be with him while these judgments are being acted upon the earth. But nonetheless, it is important that we understand what they are. We understand these things because I believe these things require a response on our part. And I believe that an appropriate response from us would be, I want to be sure that I am ready when Christ comes to rapture the church. And furthermore, I want to be certain that my loved ones and my families are ready, family is ready as well. Because if you really love someone, you will not want to have them be able to endure this great tribulation and to suffer from these judgments that are coming. Now, before we get into the judgments, I need to say something that I've said twice before, and now is the third time. No one, and I mean no one, fully understands or has grasped the complete understanding of these verses in their entirety. And so when we come to places where we don't really understand it all, we have to learn to accept the mystery. And we should not fill in the blanks with speculation and assumptions. I believe that it is okay for us to say, this is what I think this means, or it has been suggested that this is what this means, but we can never be dogmatic in our approach to what we think it means. Why do I say that? Because I believe with all my heart that there are things that we will never understand fully this side of eternity. Certainly there are some things written here that are eminently clear, but just because there are other things that are mysterious to us doesn't mean we should avoid the subject altogether. And I, and I fear that that is a main reason why you don't hear a lot of sermons preached anymore about the end times. We shouldn't go beyond what is written, and we shouldn't go beyond what we know, 
But at the same time, we shouldn't shy away from these things because we don't completely understand everything that it says. So as we look at the book of Revelation, please understand that it is as the title suggests. It is a revelation from God that was given to the apostle John. In Revelation 1, 1 and 2, it says this, he made it known, God made it known, by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. It later says in that chapter that John was in the spirit. So this is obviously a vision or a very vivid dream kind of revelation that God is giving him. And John is doing his best to, to take what it is that he sees, describe it by writing these things down and what he's seeing and what he's hearing in this revelation that God has given him. As I said in the first week, understand that this is coming from the mind's view of, of a man who lived over 2,000 years ago. So his perspectives and how he describes these things, we may not fully understand because he doesn't fully understand them because it lacks insight into the modern day technology and even the knowledge that we possess today. So you always have to keep that in mind as we move forward in the scriptures. And the reason that we are gonna go through these judgments this morning is to help you to better understand exactly what Jesus meant in the book of Mark, chapter 13, verse 19, where again it says, for in those days there will be such tribulation as has not been from the beginning of the creation that God created until now and never will be. So why don't you turn to Revelation chapter 6. If you don't have your Bibles, it'll be up on the screen behind me. This is where we are going to start by first looking at the seven seals. Sounds like a rock group, the seven seals. Keep in mind, these first four seals reveal or introduce what many refer to as the four horsemen of the apocalypse. These four horsemen appear to symbolically portray four disastrous occurrences that will take place before the second coming of Christ. And I want to say this, and I've said this in earlier scriptures, there is, a, there is confusion that the rapture of the church, when Christ comes to take us home, is Jesus' second returning. That is not. That is the rapture. He doesn't touch down on earth. He comes in the heavens. We meet him in the air. He takes us home. The second coming is when Christ comes after the end of all of this to settle all scores. So keep that in mind. The first seal is found in Revelation chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. The scriptures say, I watched as the lamb, that's Jesus, opened the first of the seven seals. Then I heard one of the four living creatures, that is an angelic being, say in a voice like thunder, come. I looked and there before me was a white horse. Its rider held a bow and he was given a crown and he rode out as a conqueror bent on conquest. As we discussed last week, this is the Antichrist. This is that one world leader who will come into power during this time of tribulation. Last week, we talked about him at length. We talked about his characteristics, how he arrives, what he will do, and that's primarily to wage war against the saints. If you weren't here last week, I highly recommend that you go online and you watch that sermon because you need to get caught up to speed. He is the major player in this whole thing. Well, then on the heels of that, there will be a second seal in Revelation 6, 3, and 4. When the Lamb opened the second seal, 
I heard the second living creature say, Come. Then another horse came out, a fiery red one. Its rider was given power to take peace from the earth and to make people kill each other. To him was given a large sword. Jesus told us that there would be wars and that there would be rumors of wars. Well, this horseman represents war and bloodshed represented by this fiery red horse, the color of blood. So there will be wars on the earth. And the more wars that you have, the more you'll see of this third seal found in Revelation 6, 5, and 6. When the Lamb opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a black horse. Its rider was holding a pair of scales in his hand. Then I heard what sounded like a voice coming, a voice among the four living creatures saying, Two pounds of wheat for a day's wages and six pounds of barley for a day's wages. And do not damage the oil and the wine. The more wars you have, the f more famine and death that will occur. And with the use of words in that scripture, like a pair of scales, it becomes clear what we're talking about here is food rationing. We're talking about a lack of food. And when it says a quart of wheat for a day's wages, that also carries with it the idea of hyperinflation, talking about the prices of everyday things going through the roof. And that's already happened in our modern day world in many different places, in Venezuela, in Hungary, in Zimbabwe, in, in Yugoslavia. They all experienced periods of hyperinflation due to poor economic and political policies. But it especially happens during and after wars. And that's what's happening within this third seal. Which leads me to the fourth seal, found in Revelation 6, verse 7 and 8. When the Lamb opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature say, Come. I looked, and there before me was a pale horse. Its rider was named Death, and Hades was following close behind him. So when you have war and famine, you have death. And what follows death? Hell for people who don't know Jesus. It continues, they were given power over a fourth of the earth to kill by sword, famine and plague, and by the wild beasts of the earth. Think about the reality of that last sentence. Currently, the world has approximately 7.6 billion inhabitants. Of course, we know that this happens after the rapture of the church and the Christians will be removed from the church. But regardless of what that final number is, you're talking about a fourth of the entire world's population being annihilated. That is utterly staggering. And notice it also says plague. If you had that many people die across the face of this world, I don't even know how all the dead could be buried or cremated. You saw pictures of bodies piling up during COVID originally, right? They, didn't, they had so many people that were passing away in New York in some of those, those, those um, retirement homes. They didn't know what to do. They, they were overwhelmed. Could you imagine an event like this taking place? No doubt in different parts of the world, there would literally be rotting corpses everywhere, which would, which would have some major sanitation, sanitation issues and would lead, I believe, quickly to some kind of a plague. Now, from here on out, it gets bad, if that wasn't bad enough. Look at the fifth seal in Revelation 6, 9. 
when he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain because of the word of God and the testimony they had maintained. This is talking about, the believer, about believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. I told you last week that there would be many people who would miss the rapture because they were not in a redemptive relationship with Christ Jesus. They denied Christ and they just said things like, well, I don't think I'm ready. They knew what the truth was, but they failed to live by the truth. But during the tribulation, after they've missed the rapture, they will remember the sermons that they've heard. They will remember when you shared your faith with them. They, they will remember the things that they learned even when grandma and grandpa took them to Sunday school. And they will open up their Bibles and they will start to read and they will discover that what is going on was already uh, predicted. It was already prophesied. And they will read that and they will understand that they've, they've missed it and they will seek Jesus and they will find him and they will receive salvation. But as I said before, life for them will be the most difficult because they will be martyred for their faith. That's who this scripture is referencing, those who were slain for their faith in Christ Jesus. The sixth seal is found in Revelation 6, 12, and 14. I watched as he opened the sixth seal. There was a great earthquake. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair. The whole moon turned blood red. And the stars in the sky fell to earth as figs drop from a fig tree when shaken by a strong wind. The heavens receded like a scroll being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth, the princes, the generals, the rich, the mighty, and everyone else, both slave and free, hid in caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They called to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. So there's this earthquake, and there are signs from heaven. And as you'll see in a minute, asteroids or meteors or comets crashing to the earth. All kinds of upheaval going on. And it's interesting to me that each one of these judgments either begins or ends with an earthquake. So there's this, this constant upheaval going on, a constant diet of catastrophes happening all around. But then you come to the seventh seal in Revelation 8.1. And it says this, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half hour. What does that mean? I'm not sure. It's been suggested that after this initial time of judgment is given, that heaven is shocked. It, it's stunning. The silence is the silence of awe by what just took place. But now there is going to come another 14 judgments that will be poured out upon the earth and the inhabitants that are left. And the next seven judgments are called the trumpet judgments. And I must warn you that the devastation from these judgments is going to be something very hard for us to fathom. Your mind will go all kinds of places. But I think the reality is this is horrific. It starts in Revelation 8, verse 2 and 3. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. Another angel who had a golden censer came and stood at the altar. Down to verse 5. Then the angel took the censer, 
filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it on the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and guess what? An earthquake. What is he talking about here? I believe what he's talking about is a global storm because here we have the entire earth that is enveloped in this storm. We've all had times where here in Red Bluff we've had beautiful sunny weather and in another part of the country there's a hurricane going on or there's tornadoes hitting in the Midwest. Not so at this moment. It says that this was hurled down on the earth. The whole globe gets this and it will be a first. It will be a global storm followed by an earthquake. All that to say, we live in a very dangerous planet. We really do. And I think that we erroneously believe that with all of our technology, we have somehow tamed Mother Nature. But it just isn't so. I think we have certainly learned how to mitigate some of the variances of Mother Nature's actions, but Mother Nature is still capable of overwhelming any and all technology. And of course, when I say Mother Nature, you know I mean God. So all this is hurled to the earth. Thunder and rumblings and flashes of lightning and an earthquake. And when it's all over, people will come crawling out. They'll be shaken, wondering what in the world just happened. And then the first trumpet is blown, Revelation 8, 7. The first angel sounded this, his trumpet. And there came hail and fire mixed with blood. And it was hurled down on the earth. A third of the earth was burned up. A third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. And you know, you may say this all sounds ridiculous. How in the world could all this kind of damage take place and so much be destroyed with blood literally being hurled on the earth? Again, I want you to remember that John is doing his level best to describe what God has shown him, what God has revealed to him. So I want you to listen to a possible explanation of what I just read to you. The late Henry Morris was the founder and president of the Institute of Creation Research, and he wrote this in his book, The Revelation Record. It is possible that worldwide volcanic explosions would be a normal consequence of a worldwide violent earthquake. The masses of water vapor blown skyward might well condense in the intense updraft into hailstones and showers of burning lava might well be cast upon the earth. The blood of entrapped men and animals might be mingled with them or possibly showers of liquid water drops might be so contaminated with dust and gases as to appear blood red. So there you have a legitimate scientific explanation for what it is that we're reading here in this first trumpet when one-third of the world's vegetation is gone. And then we come to the second trumpet in Revelation 8, verses 8 through 9. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain, all ablaze, was thrown into the sea. I don't think you have to work for NASA to understand what that is. That's got to be a meteor. That's got to be an asteroid like we talked about in week one. He continues, a third of the sea turned into blood as due, due to this, this, this thing. A third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. I explained in our first week the kind of carnage that even a small meteor can create when it lands on the earth. And I even shared with you one that landed in Russia not too long ago and what it did. But this one lands in the sea. And since John describes this as a huge mountain, 
I think it's understandable that this is not a small meteor. This thing is enormous. This is one that could cause great devastation. Also, when it lands in the sea, what's that going to do? That's going to cause a tsunami like the world has never seen before. So you can understand why a third of all these things mentioned were destroyed. Here's the third trumpet, Revelation 8, 10, and 11. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many died from the waters that had become bitter. It's interesting that the the term Wormwood is only used once in the New Testament. It is hemlock. It's poison. So all of a sudden, you have contaminated water supply, perhaps another asteroid falling to the earth, and because of where it originates from, it gives off a gas or it gives off a poison to its surroundings, and the earth's water. There are some who have suggested that this might be a nuclear missile of some kind, which certainly has the ability not to just destroy, but to contaminate whatever is left. And then there's the fourth trumpet, found in Revelation 8:12. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. Could this be the result of volcanic activity or the result of meteors or the result of comets? Perhaps the the dust and the smoke created goes up into the atmosphere and it's so thick that it literally blocks out the light of the sun. And this, by the way, has happened in our human history after volcanic eruption. And what happens when the sun doesn't shine through? Well, the earth grows colder. And what that's going to do is going to increase the amount of violent storms as well as having a negative effect on the the natural growing seasons of vegetation. And then, just when you think it couldn't get any worse, look at Revelation 8.13. As I watched, I heard an angel that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, whoa, 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 to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blast about to be sounded by the other three angels. In other words, if you think it's been bad up to this point, well, put on your seatbelt because it's really going to get bad. In fact, in Luke's account of Jesus talking about the last days, it says that men's hearts will fail them from fear. I completely get that because the, the world is literally getting turned upside down. And then comes the fifth trumpet, in Revelation 9, 1 through 3. The fifth angel sounded his trumpet, and I saw a star that had fallen from the sky to the earth. Many theologians believe that that is the devil. The star was given the key to the shaft of the abyss. What is the abyss? Do you remember when Jesus encountered the demoniac, the the demon-possessed man who was in great stress, great distress, he needed help, He needed it seriously. Jesus spoke to the demon that had possessed the man. And he said to Jesus, he said, I am legion, for we are many. This man was possessed with with multiple demons. Well, these demons who possessed this man, they begged Jesus not to send them to the abyss. The abyss is a place of lockdown where demons are sent who are out of control 
who have gone beyond, as the scriptures say, their proper boundaries. You can read about this in, in Jude 6. And these demons, the worst of the worst, some who have not even yet been seen on the earth are now released as Satan opens up the abyss. To kind of help you to put this in perspective, it would be like if all of a sudden a decree went out to all the nations and said, by midnight tonight, you are to open every uh, maximum security prison in your land. The criminally insane, murderers, serial killers, rapists, terrorists, the worst of the worst. And now they're out walking on the face of the earth again. It would literally overwhelm the, the earth for a season. So here you have this demonic core being released and they are given abilities and power to inflict pain. On to verse 2 and 3. When he opened the abyss, smoke rose from it like the smoke from a gigantic furnace. The sun and the sky were darkened by the smoke from the abyss. And out of the smoke, locusts came down on the earth and were given power like that of scorpions of the earth. On to verse 5 and 6. They were not allowed to kill them, but only to torture them for five months. And the agony they suffered was like that of the sting of a scorpion when it strikes. During those days, people will seek death, but will not find it. They will long to die, but death will elude them. What that infers is that there's a period of time where death will take a vacation. And this will prove to mankind that there are some things worse than dying. And so death will be elusive, and subsequently people will experience even more tremendous suffering. But then there's the sixth trumpet in Revelation 9, 13 through 15. The sixth angel sounded his trumpet, and I heard a voice coming from the four horns of the golden altar that is before God. It said to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates and the four angels who had been kept ready for this very hour and day and month and year were released to kill a third of mankind. Down to verse 19. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues of fire, smoke, and sulfur that came out of their mouths. If you will recall, when we covered the seal judgments, it said that a quarter of the population would die. Now it's saying a third of whatever is left will die. If my mathematics serve me correctly, that would combine for about half of the population of those who are left on planet Earth. It's a staggering thought when you think about it. But now we have the seventh trumpet in Revelation eleven fifteen. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord, of his Messiah, and he will reign forever and ever. Down to verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder. Here's another global storm, and it's followed by an earthquake and a severe hailstorm. Please know this, ladies and gentlemen. Heaven understands the purpose of these judgments, even if it is hard for us to grasp the cataclysmic nature of them all. And for those of you watching online and those of you who are in this building today who, who take on this attitude that I think that I'll just roll the dice, 
regarding my relationship with Jesus being Lord and Savior of my life. When I read all of this, I want to respond to you by saying, are you crazy? Are you crazy? I'm not embellishing the scriptures here at all. I'm just reading to you what it says and how horrible it is. And anyone who would risk wanting to go through this, when you understand that there is redemption to be found in Christ Jesus, and though you cannot, you, and, not, and through that, you can not only avoid this terrible situation, but you will also know that you will spend eternity in God's presence, but you fail to commit your life to him, all I can say is why, and I'll say it again, are you crazy? Do you understand why he reveals all of this to us? It's so that we will understand that this world that we live in, this place that we put so much trust in, is heading for literal destruction. And he wants every human being to choose wisely about who, whom you put your trust in. Jesus warns us to escape the coming judgment. And the only way to do that is to be in a redemptive relationship with Jesus. Listen, God is a just God. And his nature is such that every sin will be judged. But you can be certain about where you stand in all of this by receiving his salvation and accepting his lordship over your life. His love is so immense that the scriptures tell us that he wishes none would perish, but that everyone would receive everlasting life. And so he, he literally spells this out for us so that we know what lies ahead and so that we can make sure that we're ready. Well, Pastor David, I didn't know any of this. Well, now you do. And there may be some of you who would say, well, you know what, I think you're just trying to scare me. Well, you know, if, if sharing with you what the Word of God says about the end times, if that scares you, well, then yes, I am guilty as charged. And others might say, well, come on, you really believe all this stuff? Yes, I do. I am willing to bet my life on it. I am willing to bet my eternal existence on this and place it securely in God's hands. Don't be in denial because you, you can't wrap your mind around all of this. Don't be afraid of this. This is, this is uh, this, everything that is written here is going to come to pass. And you are either going to avoid it or you're going to be in the middle of it and you're going to remember everything that I've told you today. Peter touched on this in 2 Peter 3, 1 through 7. In the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is this coming he promised? Ever since our ancestors died, everything goes on as it always has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forgot, forget that long ago by God's word, the heavens came into being and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also, the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. He's referring to the great flood in Noah's day. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. This is exactly what we are talking about today, the judgment and the destruction of the ungodly, and you do not want to be a person who fits that description. Repent of your sins and receive God's amazing grace. It is so simple. It requires that you remove all that pride that prevents you from being able to understand that you cannot make it on your own. It's funny, people deny Jesus. They say, oh, Jesus is a crutch, and you've got every other crutch in the world keeping you going. But you can't find the true crutch 
of Jesus Christ. Your self-sufficiency, folks, ain't going to cut it anymore when this time comes. You need Jesus, and you need him in the worst way. And I hope if you don't know him today, that today will become a day of salvation for you. Amen. Sorry, I got on a little tangent there. But now, as the TV pitchman always says, but wait, there's more. Because we're going to move ahead to the bold judgments. The first bold judgment is found in Revelation 16. 1 and 2. Then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go, pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went out and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly, festering sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped its image. This appears to be talking about a, a massive contagion or a massive epidemic. And it falls on those who have received the mark of the beast. We talked about that last week. This will be something that the Antichrist will set up. And you have to make a decision whether you're going to take the mark of the beast or whether you're going to decline it. And by declining it, you will not be able to participate in commerce. You won't be able to, to work. You won't be able to buy things. You won't be able to sell things. You'll pretty much be off the grid. But it's also designed to set you apart from those who have taken the mark who are doomed. You take the mark, it's done. There's no bringing you back. Those who refuse the mark still have an opportunity to make it to heaven. And so this, this, this mark is placed on either the right hand or your forehead, and it will again be what isolates you and identifies you as a believer in Christ. The second bold judgment is found in Revelation 16:3. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead person. And every living thing, and every living thing in the sea died. It turns the sea into a rotting, putrid, no kind of life can exist in this body of polluted water, and all of the creatures in the sea die. And you may say, well, at least there'll be water to drink from the rivers and the streams, right? We'll take a look at the third bowl judgment in Revelation 16.4. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. And right about now, a typical response from many is, well, if, a God, if God is a God of love, why would he do all of this? It is if to infer that you can't be loving and ultimately judge the world and its inhabitants just like you have warned and told us about for literal centuries. I want to show you something that it says in Revelation 16, 5 and 6. Because here you have a response of God's angels about what just happened here. Uh, about, uh, as, as they're watching all of this unfold. They haven't just watched this moment, but they've been watching since the creation of human history. And they have watched as, as human as mankind has denied God. They've watched as he's, they've denied Christ. They've watched as they have boastfully mocked his name. They have seen all of the arrogance. They have seen all of the sin and atrocities that have happened in mankind. But they've also watched God from the very beginning sending out his love and reaching out to people no matter how deep they were in sin in order to redeem them. And here's their perspective in verses 5 and 6. 
Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, O Holy One, you who are and who were, for they have shed the blood of your holy people and your prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. This is coming from the angels. The same angels who it says rejoice in heaven whenever someone like you or me comes to know Jesus Christ. They are invested in this. They have seen everything from the beginning up until this point. They've seen God's grace extended to mankind and his love reach out to those who are hurting. He is, they have seen him give people opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to receive his goodness. And now they see God's words being fully enforced and they say, you are a just God. All along, you have told them this, and now what you have warned them about is happening. They are now receiving what they deserve. Then the fourth bowl is poured out in Revelation 16, 8, and 9. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was allowed to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. It appears that through all of this upheaval in the atmosphere that the earth has been terribly damaged and now the sun is doing great harm to its inhabitants. Talk about global warming. But then you have the fifth bowl that's poured out in Revelation 16, 10, and 11. The fifth angel poured out, poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast and its kingdom was plunged into darkness. People gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. Can you see the continuation of human defiance towards God Almighty? They know where these plagues are coming from, but instead of acknowledging God, instead of realizing that they were wrong and repenting, their hearts are so hard that they curse his name, even after all this, as if to say, how could you, God? Let's move on to the sixth bowl in Revelation 16, 12 through 14. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates, and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. Then I saw three impure spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, that's Satan, out of the mouth of the beast, that's the Antichrist, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. If you recall, that's who I mentioned in we last week, who was kind of the spokesperson or the mouthpiece for the Antichrist. They are demonic spirits that perform signs, and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on that great day of God Almighty, down to verse 16. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. They gather together the leaders of the world and they take them to the Megiddo Valley in Israel. And this is where there will be one final massive battle. It'll be the battle of battles unlike the world has ever seen, Armageddon. And we're going to talk more about that next week. On to the seventh and the final bowl in Revelation 16, 17 through 18. The seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air. And out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, it is done. Then there became flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, another global storm, and a severe earthquake. 
No earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. There are so many earthquakes that are mentioned during this time of tribulation, and yet this one is going to be the one of all. It says no earthquake like it has ever occurred since mankind. So what does that mean? How bad of an earthquake is it? We'll read on, verses 20 and 21. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. From the sky, huge hailstones weighing about 100 pounds fell on the people. And they cursed God on account of the plague of hail because the plague was so terrible. Think about it. The Hawaiian Islands gone. Every other island on this planet gone. And now the valleys are lifted up and the, the mountain ranges are flattened. The Alps, the Rocky Mountains are no longer. They're gone. And hailstones are falling from the sky that are so large that if it hits any living thing, it's bound to destroy it, obliterate it. This powerful earthquake will radically alter the earth's topography. And when it is all done, the earth will basically be flat with no seas, no islands, and no mountains. It is being prepared for, for restoration, for something like it's pre-flood conditioned. It's being readied for the coming of the millennial kingdom. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is when King Jesus will arrive in his second coming. And that's when he comes to defeat the Antichrist, to destroy evil, and to establish his millennial kingdom. He is coming to set things straight. He is coming to close all accounts. But unfortunately, you're going to have to wait till next week to see what's going to happen. And I hope that you'll be here. As you come forward, and I'd like to ask all of you to stand to your feet. As you are thinking about all of this, and I know I shared a lot with you this morning, I want to read to you 2 Peter 3, verses 10 through 18. And I really want you to listen to this, and I want you to really let it soak in. It says, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything done in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire, and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard 
so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forever. Amen. I know, I know that I've thrown a lot of information out to you this morning, and it usually takes a little while for some of this to sink in. But I cannot end this message and not do what I have done in every one of these messages in this series, and that is to ask you this morning, are you ready? And then to follow it up by saying, are your loved ones ready? As you've learned today, nobody is going to want to be on this face of this earth after the, after the rapture of the church and when this tribulation takes place. And in fact, you don't have to be because Jesus offers salvation. He will save you from all of this. All you have to do is to put your trust and your faith in him into his capable hands, ask him for forgiveness and allow him lordship over your life. You do that by praying a simple prayer of, of, of belief and confession. That simply means that you say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. You are the only way to God the Father. You came to this earth. You lived a sinless life. You lived a perfect life. You showed us how to live. You showed us the love of the Father. And you died on the cross, and the blood that you shed on that cross covers or atones for my sin. And then you rose three days later, and that same resurrection power now becomes mine. So when my time comes where I either die or I get raptured, I am going to be resurrected and go with Jesus to heaven. The confession part is just saying that in your own words, in your own way, from your heart to God's ears. I want to close this service in prayer. And if it is your desire today to receive salvation, maybe you've never, ever asked Jesus to be the Lord of your life, I want to open this altar. You can come to this altar right now, or you can pray from your seat. It does not matter. God hears your cries no matter where you're at. And for those of you who are already in a relationship with Jesus, I'm going to ask you to pray what I've asked you to pray for the last three weeks and now again this week. I want to ask that you will pray that God will give you a passion for those who are lost that are around you, those who you love, those who you know. That he will show you and open a door and a way for you to be able to share your faith with them. I don't suggest that you go and start reading these scriptures down to them and try to scare anybody into salvation. You need to share the love of Christ with them. Then you need to tell them what they get saved from when they receive Christ, the promises of God. I want you to pray that, I even want to ask you to pray that God would give you an opportunity this week to speak to one, to one person, and do so with the understanding that it won't be you speaking, but as the scriptures say, God will give you the words to say. Anybody who's ever done this before, you find yourself saying things in ways that you never said them before. You even kind of sit back after it's over and you go, man, I didn't know I was that brilliant. Well, you're not, and I'm not. God gives you the words to say. And it, and it cuts through all the minutiae. It cuts right to the heart because it's laced by the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is involved, that's what draws people to the cross of Christ. So let's bow our heads in prayer this morning. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for my church family. I thank you that you show us everything we need to know. 
I thank you that you don't sugarcoat it. And even though we don't understand everything we read here today, I think we can all understand that this is going to be a horrible time for anyone to be left behind. So, Father, I pray if there's anyone here watching online who does not know you today, that they would have the courage to pray a simple prayer of belief and confession. They believe that you're the Son of God, that they believe you died on the cross for them, but you rose again so that they too could. They would ask you into their heart. They would ask for forgiveness of their sin and that you would become the Lord of their life. I further ask that you help us as a church to come alongside of them and to help them grow in their relationship with you, to help disciple them and teach them the ways of the Word of God. And Father, I pray for my church family, those who already know you, some who have served you most of the days of their life. And I ask that you would impress upon each one of us that we are evangelists until the day we die. That there's this thing called the Great Commission that you've called us to do. It wasn't a suggestion. It was a command. And God, that you would light a fire in us to open our mouths, to share your goodness, that you would give us opportunities, that we would recognize when those opportunities come, and that we would seize those opportunities and allow you to work in and through us. God, I claim souls through my church family today. I pray that we would see a harvest of people coming into the kingdom of God because your people here at High Point Assembly opened their mouths and shared your goodness with someone. We've been praying for revival in this community for literal years. Wouldn't it be awesome to see revival sparked from a series on the end times? that we would take the call to lead others to Christ as seriously as you do. So God, as we depart this place today, I ask that your Holy Spirit, which always does, to go with us. Guide and direct our steps, the places we go, the things we do, the conversations that we have. Lord, let them be conversations that build people up and not tear down. Allow us to be lights in a very dark world. Allow the love of Christ to shine through us in such a way that will open up those doors for us to share your goodness with others. And when those doors open, that we would recognize and we would walk through and we would play a part in someone's salvation. And God, as we are reminded of the horrors that are to come during this great time of tribulation, as Peter wrote, Lord, that we would live God-honoring lives pure lives, that our focus would be on pleasing you above all other things, that we would know that we know that we know that we are ready when that time comes, and that we will rejoice in your presence in heaven. So I thank you for this day. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence here. I thank you for taking these words, and even though some of them may be mysterious, Lord, you've pierced our hearts with them, and I think we all have a grasp of the horrible things that are to come. And Father, let us use that as motivations to live for you and furthermore to tell others about your goodness. As we go our separate ways today, pray that you'll keep us safe, keep us safe from COVID, from any other sicknesses and diseases that might befall us. Pray that you'll keep us safe from any accidents that might occur so that we can gather together again as a church family and worship you in spirit and in truth. And I ask these things in the precious and holy name of Jesus. Amen and amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here.